Welcome to Beyond Blathers, the podcast where we dive deeper into the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. I'm Sophia Osborne. And I'm Olivia DeBercier. And we're so happy to be back. We hope you all had a lovely holiday season and a happy new year. Our merch store is open again now, so if you want to support the show, check it out at etsy.com shop slash beyondblathers to see all the stickers, postcards, and sticker sheets we have for sale. Yeah, so I'm also happy to be back. Today, I am coming in with some food for existential thought today with Australopithecus. I don't really know whether to call this creature like a person or an animal. It feels almost weird to call a human-like thing a creature. So this is kind of a weird episode in that way. Yeah, I when you said we were doing Australopithecus, I was like, oh, that sounds so familiar. And then I remembered like, oh, yeah, isn't that a sort of human-like sort of relative, I guess, relative of humans? Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's kind of a funny one because I always forget that it's in the game. Yeah, I also forgot that it was in the game. Do you actually like find the fossil? Yeah, you do. You find, you the, find skull the skull in the game, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of dark. it's really intense like it's it's kind of cool and it's this is really random and dumb but I was like researching Australopithecus and I was listening to like music in the background and I guess I had like I'd put on bare naked ladies because I like forgot that they were a band and then I was like oh I should listen to them again and (laughs) the Big Bang Theory theme song came on turns out the song is like really long and then, like, as they're singing, they're like, they say Australopithecus would really have been sick of us. And it was kind of trippy. <laughs> I was like, wow. oh, my God, is Spotify, like, scanning my brain and, like, feeding <laughs> me the songs I want to hear? It's your FBI agent. Oh, it is. It was really very strange that that word is in a song. I honestly didn't know that that was a real song. <laughs> Neither did I. I was like, oh, this keeps going. Okay. Also, I want to mention a quick note that for some reason, Animal Crossing calls it Australopith, but I'll be using the full name Australopithecus because I haven't read Australopith anywhere. Um, So I don't think it's like a commonly used shortening of the word. So just a heads up on that. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I guess speaking of which, let's see what Blathers has to say. So if you bring the Australopithecus skull to Blathers, he'll say, The Australopith, thought to be one of the links between humans and apes, emerged four million years ago. They lived long ago, even before the ancestors of the modern humans, so there are profound differences. Even so, it seems to me that you can see the beginnings of greatness here. Oh, that's so supportive of Blathers. (laughs) (laughs) It's very kind, given that he's an owl. Yeah. So indeed, Australopithecus is a genus or like a group of early human relatives that lived in South and East Africa during the late to early Pleistocene. So not quite four million years ago. So first little fact check there. Australopithecus is what we call a hominin, meaning that it is a group that emerged after our most recent ancestor that we share with chimpanzees and bonobos, who are our closest living relatives. To explain this another way, if we sort of imagine a highway that splits, at the end of each of those highways, there are the humans, and then on the other side, there's chimps and bonobos. 
And Australopithecus and the other homonyms can be found along the road, like the split that leads to humans, but not the one that goes to the chimps and the bonobos. I hope that makes it really clear. I want to make sure everyone understands that before we go forward, because Blathers is a bit unclear slash wrong here. I wouldn't call Australopith a link between humans and apes because, you know, we're on like separate highways and we do consider Australopith like a hominin. The term link can also be really misleading in that it reminds one of the term that you may have heard before called the missing link. We'll talk a little bit more about that later, but it's this inaccurate idea of human evolution. It sort of represents that classic image of the ape to man, where the chimp is growing into a caveman and then into a man. And that really suggests this linear path of evolution where we just need to find those individual steps to learn our evolutionary history. When in reality, not every fossilized hominin was like a direct relative that we are descended from. Really, there were many lines of hominins that went extinct or which interbred with other hominins that eventually became us. So modern genetics has shown that the path to Homo sapien evolution is far more complex than previously thought. So just giving some broad strokes here about evolution and the evolution of humans so everyone is on the same page. Yeah, I think that's super helpful because it does get very, I guess, like condensed or kind of dumbed down into this linear linear line and and also just kind of the idea of like evolution in in general or like even what Blathers said, like I said it was supportive about like the hints of greatness, but it is weird to be like yeah, humans were this culmination of some great thing, like that this is like the end of history kind of idea. Yeah, and like if you hang out in like science world long enough, you'll notice that a lot of scientists and researchers and especially evolutionary biologists don't really like to use the word primitive or if they use it, they they use it with like a grain of salt because primitive sort of suggests that there is like a greater goal and that like the early stuff was like kind of like a like an early iPhone. Like it wouldn't, you know, it worked, but it wasn't great. When in reality, evolution isn't like leading you into a specific way. It's just sort of random. Like this is just a new, you know, it it it's they don't like to use the word primitive because it sort of diminishes the importance of all these other species that used to exist. Yeah. And so for Australopithecus, you said it's a genus. Does that mean there are multiple species? Yeah. So, so far we know of about 12, but this number really changes as new discoveries are made, things get shifted around. And as we change the definitions for a genus, So just be aware that there's a ton of moving around of species in a family tree with like different scientific arguments. So that estimate will change quite dramatically depending on what book you're reading and what year it's from and who's writing it. And speaking of the remains, I guess, or the discoveries, what what do they usually find with Australopithecus? Like big full skeletons or just the skulls like in the game? Yeah, it's pretty cool. Like they found everything from relatively full skeletons to like kind of broken apart, but still relatively well-formed skulls. Although sometimes they only find like a couple of toe bones or like a piece of a femur or a knee. So there's a big variation of what kinds of fossils they found. But to go into a bit of the history of Australopithecus and its discovery, The first Australopithecus was found in 1924 in South Africa. 
Australopithecus actually means southern ape because of where the first specimen was found. And it was found by Raymond Dart. So he was the one who named this group. It was found in a quarry and dated to 2.8 million years ago. It was given the name the Tong Child. And I really love this name. It feels both spooky and like intriguing in the best way. So the Tong child was this juvenile Australopithecus africanus, and it was probably about three years old when it died. It was our first evidence that the human lineage had begun in Africa. What what does Tong mean? It's a, a place name. So it was found near Tong, which I believe is a town. Okay. Dart's discovery was a little bit challenged because it happened just after this sort of juicy event in England. In 1912, an amateur archaeologist called Charles Dawson claimed that he'd found evidence of early man in Pleistocene gravel deposits in Piltdown, England, which really seems like a silly idea now, but they were taking this somewhat seriously. It was a little bit criticized, but it was kind of a big deal for a while. So he claimed to have found a skull of a human-like ancestry. It He found a jaw and also some tools, and he called this the missing link. But of course, it was a hoax. It was totally fake. The skull was human, maybe about 600 years old, and the jaw, which showed these strange ape and human-like teeth, was actually just the jaw of an orangutan with the teeth filed down. But this hoax wasn't officially thrown out until 1953. And while it was a controversial subject, it did kind of overshadow and confuse other finds from around the world. And I just sort of wanted to mention this because I think it's an interesting part of the Australopithecus story. That's so funny. When I saw it written down, I thought it said, an amateur archaeologist called Charles Darwin. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, wow, Charles Darwin's hoax. (laughs) The lesser known of his his story. (laughs) Anyway, there were a whole bunch more Australopithecus discoveries. And then moving into the 1970s, there were two really important fossil hunting teams working in East Africa, that of Donald Johansson and Mary Leakey. If you don't know who Mary Leakey is, maybe you've heard of uh, Louis Leakey, who's her husband. Both of them were and still are quite famous, although they've died now, but they are quite famous paleoanthropologists who worked on discovering more about human evolution. Louis Leakey is also famous for sort of sponsoring the research and kind of mentoring the three famous primatologists, Jane Goodall, Diane Fossey, and Berute Galdikas. Jane, of course, worked on chimps. Diane worked on gorillas. If you've heard of gorillas in the mist, that's her. And Barute worked on orangutans. And basically, the leakies were pretty interested in modern primates to sort of inform the research that they were doing on our previous ancestors in Africa, which I think is just a very neat story overall. But going back to Australopithecus, Donald Johansson's team in Ethiopia found the very famous partial skeleton of Lucy, Australopithecus afarensis. Lucy is about 3.2 million years old and is named after the Beatles song Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, which apparently was playing while they were like celebrating having found her, which is really cute. Lucy was short, just over a meter or 3.5 feet tall, and was fully grown when she died. The other team, that of Mary Leakey, was working in Tanzania and they found a number of more Australopithecus afarensis fossils, including the type specimen for the species. 
Another important find from 1975 was the First Family, a group of Australopithecus afarensis from Ethiopia that were unlucky enough to have been caught in some kind of terrible disaster and then they fossilized. And as tragic as that is, the sad tale tells us that Australopithecus was social just like us. This isn't the only evidence of family groups for Australopithecus. Mary Leakey's team found the Laetoli footprints from Tanzania in 1978, and it told a really amazing story. These footprints are about 3.6 million years old and are thought to belong to Australopithecus afarensis because that's the species found nearby and of approximately the same age. These tracks look incredibly human and they tell the story of two early ancestors walking together, one smaller and one bigger, with one trying to walk in the same footsteps as the one ahead of it. You can even see where they pause and turn left. And they were walking through the rain. Their footsteps are surrounded by raindrop markings. And the land they were walking on was covered in wet ash from a distant volcano eruption. These footprints tell us so much about behavior, but they also confirm research that had suggested that these creatures walked on two feet just like us. About 40 years later, more tracks were found at the same site. Here we find more individuals, including the biggest Australopithecus known currently at about 1.65 meters tall. He's aptly named Chewy after Chewbacca. And these tracks suggest that Australopithecus may have had social structures like gorillas, where the male is the leader of a small group of females. Wow, it's amazing how much you can learn from tracks. It's so cool. Like, I love it when they find dinosaur tracks, too. Like, they they just learn so much about movement. And I think it's so cool that you can capture movement in a fossil. Like, all of these fossil tracks that they found in this area, the animals were all moving the same way. Wow. And and so they were fully bipedal then? Like, I guess, because, yeah, even going back to orangutans, it's like, they're kind of bipedal like they can walk around on two legs, but then sometimes they're using their hands to, I don't know. I love orangutans. They're so <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so we call this an obligate biped, meaning that it has, or like most of its life will be spent walking on two legs and its body is pos- like built in such a way that it is more natural to walk on two feet rather than um, on all fours. Yes, so all these discoveries suggesting bipedalism were really important because previously the thought was that humans and human ancestors would have had big brains before they became bipedal. Like the evolutionary story would have been like big brains and then eventually bipedalism. But these footprints were really just like, hey, they were bipedal and we know that these were Australopithecus footprints and Australopithecus didn't have a very big brain. Its brain was about the size of a chimpanzee, so clearly the big brain isn't the first thing happening here. But even if we look at the Australopithecus skeleton, we see evidence of bipedalism. Sort of thinking about our own bodies, we have this spinal cord that connects at the base of our skull. So it's natural that when we are walking upright, our head points forward. Unlike your dog, whose spinal cord connects more at the back of the skull. And so if your dog was walking on two legs, it would have a harder time pointing its head forward rather than up. Our torso is also located above the hips, and those hips are curved. And importantly, our thigh bones kind of buckle in ever so slightly, and that helps to sort of get them a little bit closer to our center line. And then if we look at our feet, our heels are really big and bulky, and we have arches in our feet. We have some short toes with our big toe in line with the rest of the toes. And all of these are different features that 
are really important for us to walk on two feet. And these are features we also see to some degree in Australopithecus. Now, if we compare this with an ape-like relative like a chimpanzee, they have a really big toe that's built to help them with grasping. It looks a bit more like a thumb, but on their foot. And their thigh bones point outwards, which help them walk more on four legs. So hopefully that gives you an idea of what sort of bone features all of these anthropologists were looking at to figure out if to to sort of gain more evidence towards bipedalism. Do they know when the transition to bipedalism happened? It's still pretty unclear. We do know that it seems like the Australopithecus we found were bipedal animals, but before them, we're not really sure. We think that there may have been a couple species before Australopithecus that could have very likely been bipedal or at least kind of bipedal and then kind of like like orangutans kind of doing both. But um, we do know that Australopithecus was bipedal. And so how different were they from us? You said they had more like a chimpanzee sized brain. Yeah, they had a lot of ape-like features. They were probably covered in a lot of fur, maybe fully in fur. We don't really know. Females were also much smaller than males at about a meter in height. So there was a lot of what we call sexual dimorphism when the two you know, sexes of a species will look a bit different from one another, which is not something we see quite as much in humans. Males were about a meter and a half in height. So about yeah, half a meter more than the females. And then also Australopithecus had a rib cage shaped more like apes and this ape-like face with that low sloping forehead and large brow ridges and sort of that jutting out jaw mouth area. Like they looked pretty chimpanzee-like. Their brain was also quite small at about 430 cubic centimeters. And that's very similar to the size of a chimpanzee, as I said before. Skulls from a male Australopithecus show huge attachment areas for jaw muscles, and they likely had a voice box that sounded much like a chimp. Their teeth were also sort of an in-between of ape and human. They had long, narrow jaws with these wide incisor teeth and long canines. And of course, males had longer canine teeth than the females. And then finally, if you looked at them just sort of walking around, their forearms were much longer than ours. And so that sort of tilted forward shoulder posture of an ape is what you probably would have been seeing if you looked at them. And what was life like for them? Did they use tools? It's very possible that they used simple tools, though the evidence for this is still not really like set in stone. Badoomch. <laughs> anyway, in 2010, fossilized bones were found in Ethiopia from 3.4 million years ago, and they have very clear-cut marks from stone tools. However, These tools have not yet to be found, so we can't tell if Australopithecus was building these tools intentionally, like sort of chipping away at this rock and creating a sharp edge, or if they happened to find some nice sharp rocks to butcher the animal. And the reason we think that Australopithecus is sort of the cause of these cut marks on bones is that this is a very clear hominin behavior that we're seeing on the bones. I think they looked at some like microscopic clues to sort of tell they're like okay this is definitely a hominin the only hominin around at this time and in this area is australopithecus but there are no tools around for us to know for sure but yeah it's a pretty strong hint towards it and the thinking as well is that australopithecus could have been using a lot of wood tools 
We found really good evidence of hominins that came after Australopithecus using tools, so it doesn't seem completely out of left field to guess that Australopithecus could have as well. It's also possible that some of these tools were made not with rock, but with wood and plant materials that didn't fossilize well, so we might just be seeing a bias in the fossil record. The other thing I wanted to mention about this group is that while we've been talking a lot about them walking around on two feet, they probably also spent a lot of time in the trees as well, so they weren't just fully on the ground all of the time. And so were they hunting? Is that Did they mostly eat meat? They probably ate a lot of fruit and soft plant matter like leaves, and they may have also eaten some meat, but they weren't like super active predators hunting down a lot of big things. And were they always like on the predator side of things or were they prey as well? Yeah, like where on the food chain were they? They were definitely prey. (laughs) Going back to the Tong child, not only was the specimen really important as early evidence of where our ancestors came from, but it also became evidence for humans as prey. So as more and more hominins were discovered, some scientists hypothesized that Australopithecus were actually predators and these hunters. And not only were they hunting other animals, but they were also hunting each other because they were finding a lot of sites that would have a lot of bones of Australopithecus and other animals. So they thought maybe these were sites where the Australopithecus would sort of, they they were finding a lot of skulls and like the, the tops of spines. So they thought they were like keeping them as prizes or something. And so this hypothesis emerged called the killer ape hypothesis, which painted these creatures as these sort of bloody warlike creatures, which is interesting because around the time that this hypothesis was popular, it was sort of World War One, World War Two. So I can't really blame these scientists for having a different perspective on humanity at that time. But a study from 1995 showed that the Tong child had these very weird puncture holes and scratches on the skull, and that really resembled damage left on the skulls from modern primates that had been attacked by large birds. So it was therefore determined that the Tong child and many of the animals found in the same quarry were probably killed by a large raptor. So they looked at all of these different bones and they were like, oh my gosh, like a giant eagle or something ate them. And the tongue child wasn't very big, so that was certainly possible. Wow. The leakies also found a specimen that appeared to have been attacked by a crocodile. So unfortunately, it doesn't look like our ancestors were exactly living in the most like friendly place. Um, there was a lot of stuff <laughs> that was trying to kill them. And, you know, it's a hard life out there. And it's kind of amazing to think about that's like ingrained to some extent in our genetics, this life as prey. Wow. Yeah. That's why I like get anxious about doing a test or something and it's like no you're not being attacked by a crocodile you just have to do a test (laughs) you don't need to have fight or flight right now (laughs) you'll be okay there are no giant eagles here to like scoop you up yeah so those were our some of our first bipedal ancestors and they may have been able to make stone tools and they had these like cute little human monkey babies and they had families that walked through savannas as ash rained down on them it's really a dramatic and fascinating story that emerges every time we find a little bit more of this puzzle, more fossils, more, you know, footprints in the sand. And I think it's really exciting. It's funny because at first, as I started researching Australopithecus, I was like reading all these anthropology papers and I'm like, whatever, the history of humans is not nearly as exciting as animals. (laughs) And there's a reason I'm obsessed with animals, not people. But 
I don't know. This is a really cool story. I must admit. It, it yeah. did win me over in the end. It's so cool. I, it's very different for us, I think, to do, yeah, history of humans. And I, yeah, I found this story so interesting. So thank you so much for doing all that research. Yeah. And everyone, you should go check out if you want to learn more about this story and learn more about other human relatives, go check out PBS Eons. I know I always plug them, but it's honestly so like I'm just like obsessed with their videos and I find them so interesting. So go check them out if you want more details on a lot of these stories. So cool. Well, thank you everyone so much for listening. And the best way you can support the show is to tell your friends about us and to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Beyond Blathers. Yeah. And if you could also leave any reviews wherever you're listening, if that's on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever, reviews help us out a ton. And so, yeah, tell your friends, leave reviews. And you can also check out our TikTok at beyond underscore blathers. If you want to be like an extra amazing friend, leave comments on our videos on TikTok because it boosts us a ton in the algorithm. Tune in next week to learn more about the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. Bye. Bye.